conversations with remarkable working women. And I am really excited today to be talking to Ipshita Kumar, who is the VP of Brand Innovation at Hype. Welcome. Hi, Kitty. So happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so happy to talk to you. And I, it's people can't see us, but we're both in tank tops and, <laughs> you know, miles and miles away. I'm in Miami Beach and you're in Goa. Yes, yes. The tropical paradise of India. And I'm in the tropical paradise of the U.S. So <laughs> the, the wonders of modern technology, <laughs> which is exactly 100%. what I want to talk with you about. So let's just start at the very beginning, because I think Web3 is a concept that is still confusing to a lot of people. And you should know it, it feels like. So if you don't know it, maybe you say you do, or you know a little bit about it. But what exactly is it to get down to the basics? And how does it differ from Web2 or Web2? That's a great question. And I think it's a question that I've heard repeatedly over the last 24 months. Um, and it's a very valid question because for the ones that aren't working in this space, they do keep seeing versions of news or versions of jargon that have Web3 elements around it. And they constantly wonder, what does it mean? How does it impact what I'm, I'm doing within my business? So I'd say that from a technology standpoint, Web3, the way I'd explain it, is simply the next iteration of the internet that uses immersive technology and blockchain to carry out activities, whether they are powered by consumers, brands, or even corporates. But from a consumer behavior standpoint, so when they are saying, okay, I am a user, I'm a consumer, what has it changed for me? I'd say you're looking a change from observation to participation. And what I mean by here is in the web two world where everything was about observation, so liking your post on Instagram, commenting on your feed. This is more on the observation side, but then in Web3, it's everything is kind of like transformed into the participative that is co-creating, engaging in decision-making with the actual product and brand. So when it comes down to the general everyday user, they're looking at becoming more of an active part and taking an active role in the decision-making for the products that they love using or the brands that they're advocates for. And from, let's say, a corporate perspective, they're essentially using the power of blockchain technology and immersive technology to pretty much carry out all their activities on-chain um, every day. Thank you. Okay, that that is in a way that I think is palatable and understandable. So thank you for that. Let's talk about how you got to this business and understanding what you do. And I see from your background when I was looking around about you that you actually have a culinary and hospitality background or experience to start out from. So how did you get from studying and being in that field to where you are today? So hospitality and culinary is my first love. Um, as a child, I have spent significant amount of time in hotels and restaurants due to my family background. And it always just amazed me how a bartender or a guest relations person had the power to completely transform your day through magical moments. So think of a seamless check-in experience where a receptionist knows your name the moment you enter through the door and your travel history and immediately assigns you the room that you want. Or think of 
the guest relations supervisor who knows that you just traveled for the last 12 hours and puts, let's say, duck feather pillows in your room because they know that will give you the best sleep or the magic of proposing in a Ritz-Carlton, right? So with these moments in mind, I joined La Roche, um, the University of Hospitality, which is uh, one of the leading ones in Spain to join this industry. But I'd say within the first four years of me being working there, I noticed that the entire industry lacked innovation. And what I mean by this is, um, as a 19-year-old or 20-year-old back in the day, I could meet new people or my new love or date on Tinder. I could order food on Deliveroo and Global. I could order cabs on Uber. But why is it that mobile check-in didn't even exist in most hotels? So this pretty much led me to understand that maybe as an industry, it's, 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 it's not the most technological forward yet. So I wanted to kind of move forward in that realm. So I essentially joined Hosco right after, which is basically an online platform for hospitality graduates to look for opportunities in hotels. Um, and then I moved on to co-founding my company Lemonade. And today um, I'm at Hype, basically helping brands formulate what that next iteration of consumer experiences would look like. So let's talk about Hype and a little bit more about what you do there. Yeah, so... I'm currently the VP of Brand Innovation at Hype, so which is, I'd say, one of the largest and, in fact, the first ever crypto marketing agency. It was founded by Jake Stott uh, in 2017 with the aim to provide marketing capabilities for, think of layer one, layer two chains, um, dApps, token economies, and games. And I joined Hype at the beginning of the NFT boom in December 2021 to extend our agency's capabilities towards NFT projects. But I'd say in the last 12 months of um, pretty much understanding the market and working with different projects and brands, we actually noticed that there is a much bigger gap that we should be fulfilling. That is, how do we help more traditional brands in Web2, entering Web3, but with the right knowledge, research, strategy, partnerships, and most importantly, execution? So a lot of things that we noticed today is that there are different agencies and products that are able to service, let's say, traditional brands. But what we're able to kind of bring on with us is the last five years of experience of knowing what to do, but also knowing what not to do, because of also working with your ground level crypto companies in this space. Um, so yeah, so my role here is to really support the team that makes sure that every single Web2 brand that's entering the space has the right and has the most successful launch and we're a team of 150 people in the agency fully remote i'd say 90 percent of us haven't even met each other so it's pretty awesome to be a part of this team and 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 in culture because again remote working is has taken on by storm and it's, it's interesting to be a part of a team like this so in terms of remote working, just really quickly, mm -hmm. I started my firm after working for years at a big company um, eight years ago, and we were always virtual. We were never in person. It, it's oh, nothing wow. to do with the pandemic, but I'm a PR firm and I knew our clients would want to see us. And I'm, like I said, in Miami and, you know, that clients weren't going to come here if we didn't have any here. We had one at the time. And... I've always loved remote working, but there are definitely some challenges that you have to really work to overcome. So I love hearing that you say you love it. I mean, of course, everybody went to that during the pandemic, 
but it's interesting to see if it will go back or it won't go back. I would say, think especially with such an international company like yours, it would be more difficult to have everybody together. A hundred percent. And also when you look at the nature of the business and where they're based, um, they're from all over the world. And sometimes they also need the right talent in specific geographies to make sure that that's happening. So in terms of scalability, um, this is a great model and it and it works. Um, we're, we're, we're here five years later. There's a part of your bio when I was first introduced to you that really struck me. And it said, drawing from her experience as a South Asian entrepreneur, Ipshita strikes the perfect balance between EQ and IQ to help brands triumph in Web3. I love that combo. But why is it important for what you do to combine the two? You know, Katie, no one's ever asked me that question. So I'm actually surprised that you you, you picked that on. Um, but yeah, I say very early on in my career, I had to develop high EQ. That is the ability to work with and understand emotions. So think about when you're at the reception counter and a customer is frustrated at the hotel, or if you're at a restaurant and the customer is just not happy with the food <laughs> that they ordered. These instances didn't happen every day, but they happened every second hour of our working day. So being able to understand their emotion, responding with the solution is where I'd say EQ comes to play. While IQ relates to more of the general intelligence, common sense knowledge that you can simply gain from most skill-based learning, right? And when you also look at the world of tech, it mostly consists of IQ geniuses. However, I believe that when it comes down to working with traditional brands, entering Web3, there are two challenges presented. The first one would be B2B. That is, it is not only important to have the technical knowledge or the IQ of how the different tools and, and technologies work, but also have that patience and emotional bandwidth to teach brand professionals everything that you know in a jargon-free way. Because the first thing you want to do is make them understand. And if they understand it, they will be so much more keen on adopting those technologies in their, let's say, roadmap. Then the second part would be B2C. That is, how do you understand the general sentiment or emotion of the end consumer of that brand and then tie that seamlessly to the campaigns that you're developing for the final brand experience? So I'd say like to effectively work with and build relationships, this balance is highly valuable. But at the same time, I don't think it's talked enough, which I also think also sets that barrier as most people think that in order to um, become a part of Web3, your knowledge of, let's say, your technical knowledge, or your, and you must have a high IQ background. But that's not always true. If you have high, high EQ, um, you also have a place in, this, um, in the world of Web3. So I'd say it plays an equally important role. And sometimes, sometimes, balance is key. Balance is always key. <laughs> in everything. Sure. For sure. <laughs> But to build on what you were just saying, I know you're working to make Web3 more accessible to all women, especially. And can you please uh, share a bit with us about that? Yes. So at Hype, I'd like, I'd like to take the first example. I think it just amazes me how our entire leadership team is over 50% women, which is, again, um, something that I haven't seen, at least in my personal career, uh, so we have roles such as head of developer relations, VP of marketing, VP of PR, 
head of product, um, VP metaverse, head of events. So these are all roles that are fulfilled by women. And it makes me very excited to be a part of this team. And we're at the moment working on a couple of workshops and initiatives to spread our everyday marketing knowledge to the wider, I'd say, um, audience group. And then outside of that, on a personal front, I'm actively involved with Old Bread Collective. They're based out of London. They started as a women's only membership club back in the days, and then they just transcended into all things Web3. And they're partnering with Ripple in their learning modules. So I'm basically helping them curate a Web3 marketing course for all their members. And really the goal for all these courses, which by the way, is free to get access to, is to really empower women and other marginalized communities to make sure that they're able to make waves in Web3, regardless of their current knowledge and experience. So I guess it also kind of goes back and touches upon the whole EQ and IQ question, where I do believe that women in general, they do possess a higher EQ level, and it allows them to kind of get a quick crash course on the on the technical side of Web3, and then combine those two skills and find their place in, 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 in how they could be servicing um, the larger Web3 ecosystem. That's more than just shopping. I, I'm, I don't, <laughs> that's just me. <laughs> no. Well, I'm sure it's not just me. But no. <laughs> so if, if a woman or anybody, but wants to be more involved, you know, um, if we could just talk a little bit about what you're teaching in those classes, if they want to be more involved in Web3 communities, what, what should they do? I'd say the simplest example for this would be think about Facebook groups. So, you know, like, Way back when Facebook was heavily used, um, we were always, I'd say all of us were at least part of one or two Facebook communities or groups, right? So it's basically the the groups that we've had interest in, we'd essentially kind of go and join those. Similarly with Instagram, it's not just the friends that you follow, but also the accounts that you are mostly interested in seeing content from, you'd go ahead and follow them. I'd say the same thing exists for Web3 communities. If you're interested in DeFi, um, start looking at projects in this space, join their social channels, like let's say Discord or Twitter. If you're interested in metaverse fashion, take a look at the same and kind of like go ahead, like Google companies that are that are building in this space and start joining their social groups. And I'd say there's one misinformation around Web3 that communities only exist on Discord. I don't think that's true. I don't believe that's true, actually, because think about LinkedIn groups, Twitter, WhatsApp groups, Telegram groups, Signal groups. So think of pretty much any social channel that exists or social media platform that exists and that has the ability to congregate um, like-minded folks. There you go. You can already kind of start following them and and, and start reaching out to the members there and start dipping your toes slowly to, to get a better sense of what Web3 community you want to be a part of. Um, I've also heard sometimes from folks saying, oh, I need to buy an NFT to be a part of a community. Not necessarily. Uh, it depends. You can become a part of a community by, by owning an NFT, but you can also look at a lot other free communities that are based on education and empowerment that can be a great stepping stone um, if you want to just kind of get to know a little bit about this world. That's interesting that I never thought of it that way. And, you know, in terms of groups being online, but also offline in your in your life as well. Um, okay, so you touched on something that I wanted to ask you while we're still talking, because I think this is something that people truly don't understand. <laughs> and in fact, I moderated a webinar 
for a client sort of at the beginning of the NFT craze. And even after the webinar, I sort of left going, well, I knew enough to ask the right questions, but I'm not sure I understand this either. Can we talk just for a second about NFTs, the role that they currently have and where you think the future is for them? Yeah, absolutely. And listen, I mean, that's a very valid question. And if you just Google, what are NFTs? And you'd find different thought processes. Um, but say most of them are true. Most of them aren't. So the way I think is, is the easiest way to explain it is, first of all, NFTs are a digital asset class, right? Just like any other asset, their value is like determined by their usage and the classic supply-demand economics. But in essence... NFTs are nothing but a simple line of code that is stored on a digital ledger that verifies who owns this specific asset. That's the backside side, back end side of things. On the front end, it could be a music, it could be an image of a rabbit, it could be a video, it could be a membership, it could be anything. So this is also the reason why you hear things like music NFTs and profile pictures and loyalty programs. So NFTs are nothing but just a line of code that is able to verify who has made the specific asset and who owns it today. And the front facing of it can be anything that you want it to be. And I'd say that slowly NFTs will take a backseat where whatever happens on chain under assets will no longer be called as an NFT. So for example, these days you're hearing a lot about membership NFTs. That will no longer be a term. It'll just simply be a membership card, which will be stored on the blockchain. Simple. And all the transactions that are happening on this specific membership card is being recorded on chain. So people will stop referring it to, let's say, an NFT membership card or an NF a music NFT or an NFT picture. It'll just simply kind of become, take a backseat because that's what it is. It's a technology. And it'll just become the norm every day. It's, it's it's kind of like you don't say, I'm going to go listen to online music. You go listen to music. <laughs> you turn on Spotify. You don't say, oh, I'm going to go listen to offline music. That is take a cassette and put it in a, in a tape recorder. You just say, I'm just going to go listen to music. So that's pretty much how I would draw the parallels. And you're not no longer say, oh, I just purchased an, a music NFT. No, I purchased music. And because everything kind of moves on the blockchain, it'll be stored on the blockchain. Thank you. <laughs> After that, like, thank, now we should have had you come on the webinar because it would have been a lot quicker. People would have understood it. So, thank you. So if people want to follow what you're doing, listen to your terrific advice, how can they follow you? Very easy. You can connect with me on LinkedIn. Um, simple. Ipshita Kumar, my first name, last name. Um, or you can just reach out to me via email. That's my first name, Ipshita, I-P-S-H-I-T-A at hype.partners. So um, these are two great ways to reach out to me to learn a little bit more about the Web3 ecosystem, to learn how we can partner and to also pay me with some crazy ideas because listen, we're at the beginning of building something really awesome. And I'm always up for uh, doing any crazy campaigns that you think is it going to happen? Is it not going to happen? Is it right? Is it wrong? Hit me up and, and let's make it happen. Fantastic. And before you go, 
I just want to ask you one question that I like to end with, but I'm especially interested in your answer. Is there one piece of advice that has helped guide you through your life and your career that you could share with us today? Yes. Um, this has pretty much helped me my entire career. That is to have your own personal advisory board. And what I mean by this is no Monday morning suited up meetings, but I'd say at whatever stage of life you're in, try and identify maybe two or three people in the professional sense who you feel are adding the right value to you at that moment of your career and always kind of reach out to them to understand their perspective and make sure that you're changing that personal advisory board as you kind of also transcend into your career. Because a lot of times people think that it's, it's, it's kind of shameful to ask questions or to reach out for help. But you'd be surprised, Katie, the number of women that have helped me pretty much beat everything that I've kind of come across has only been possible because I've always made the effort to reach out to them. And, and, and a lot of times I've only reached out to them by looking at the LinkedIn profile saying, hey, I love what you're doing. Would you have 30 minutes every fortnight to sit with me and mentor me and coach me? I'd love to kind of pick your brain. And that can go a long way. So really just having maybe like a personal advisory board of three to four people that you feel add the right value can go a long way. And I'm planning on keeping this habit as, as long as I can. Women helping women. I love it. It was so terrific to talk with you and I've learned so much. So thank you so much for your time. My pleasure, Katie.